0: Dark Charm presents Noxo, the Case Files of Joshua Chambers, a crime drama set in the supernatural world of the Dark Charm universe and the havoc in Baltimore, Maryland and beyond. Episode 1, Habeas Corpus. There it was. It was as plain as a nose on my face. It had been here a few days at least until somebody found it in Leakin Park. It's called the world's largest unregistered graveyard for a reason. People just leave anything here. Bodies. Trash. Dead animals. It seems to permeate through the soil, rocks, and trees. The usual statistics that I've seen within the past couple years I've worked in this city. Baltimore used to be called the city that reads, During the Smoke Administration. Now it's commonly called the city that bleeds. That's the lack of faith and pessimism that permeates through the people of this city. The smell, especially this body, was enough for me to vomit as I dove into my bag for my canister of Noxo. Once I applied it, I composed myself and got to work. The body belonged to a man and needed to become my focus, aside from the rhetoric or politics or whatever it was that seemed to want to separate mankind from itself. It was a blackmail aged between 20 and 30 approximately 5 feet tall dark brown eyes shaved head and bad teeth the way he died however was what differentiates him from all the others his throat was ripped out into a gash with a large sharp object not like a knife but maybe like an axe to carve a large part of his neck clean off the only thing keeping his head on his shoulders was his spine the lower half of the cadaver was stained a crimson mess Well this was due to the gash, and most likely served as the reason for his demise. He was mostly standing upright when this happened, because it was all over him. His clothes were gone, and onto his chest was carved symbols of an unknown nature. To me they looked like satanic script surrounding an upside down pentagram. I was disturbed by the sound of a noise behind me, and I turned my head to see my new partner behind me. First case, detective long? I asked, her gauging her response. Karen Long just got out of training for detective. She'd been on the police force for five years, but she never came across a dead body like this in narcotics. She shudder. Oh.
1: First time I've seen anything like this, Lieutenant Chambers.
0: I wasn't used to being called lieutenant. I just got a promotion last week. I looked back at the body. If you want to watch, I'm okay with it, but I will test your knowledge, I said.
1: I'll I'll be okay.
0: I handed her the Noxo. Put two dabs of this under each nostril. It'll help, trust me. She did as I instructed. I pointed to the body. Without looking at the police report, what do you see? She looked closer.
1: Okay. Whatever cut his throat was not a conventional knife or they were trying to cover something up.
0: I nodded. So you think there was a strangulation? I pulled out a pair of neoprene gloves and put them on, that's your theory. She gently lifted the corpse's head to the left to see if there was any ligature marks from behind. Hmm. Looks like you're right, Detective. What else?
1: Chances are that if there are ligature marks there, they should have them on their wrists and arms. But why cut out the throat if you're not going to cut them away from the arms and wrists?
0: I looked down at the arms of the poor man. There were ligature marks there as well. I turned to her. What do you think happened to him?
1: Well, I have a feeling that he got involved with a group he didn't know involved itself in satanic worship, and that may have been what got him killed.
0: What about a sexual angle? The satanic stuff could be a red herring. I asked to jog ideas out of her. I lifted the legs and separated them slightly. The penis and scrotum looked okay. There were no marks on them. I pulled them back to view his anus. There were signs of sexual contact. I probed inside gently to see if there was a deposit of semen or anything that could give us DNA on who might have done this. There was no semen, but I pulled out a cotton swab to collect a sample just in case. They rape him? Obvious signs of anal penetration, but no signs of rape at the moment. He might have been gay or bisexual. I put his legs back down with the utmost care. I stood up and looked at Karen, Detective. What do you think the writing means? She pulled out a cell phone. Uh,
1: I'm going to check Google Translate.
0: I was impressed she used other resources. That is valuable in our line of work. But I already knew the answer as I took Latin in college as an elective. She typed in the letters of the message. It
1: says, Abaddon knows everything. Abaddon sees everything. Worship the Infernal King.
0: That's pretty close, I said. I walked up into the corridor, who was waiting for me to be done. He's all yours now.
1: So, what do you think? Is the satanic thing a red herring?
0: (sighs) I'm not sure. It could be. Not very many Satan worshippers out here in the hood. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was done to throw people off the track. I got done my paperwork at the precinct got some pizza at Sorrento's and Arbutus for dinner, and then I got home just in time for my pillows to lull me to sleep. I didn't sleep very long. I was awakened to the sound of my cell phone going off. It cut through the darkness like a knife as I sat up in bed. I realized it was four in the morning. The number on my caller ID was the morgue. Hello, this is Lieutenant Chambers, I said trying to get the cobwebs out of my brain and fully understand what and who I was talking to. Lieutenant, Um, we're sorry to call you this early in the morning, but we have a strange situation we need to follow up with. What's going on that couldn't wait until I got there at nine? I don't know how to say it. The boy you found in Leakin Park, his body is missing. I couldn't believe I heard what I'd heard. Say that again? The boy is gone from the morgue. His body is missing. I got up out of bed in panic. I'm on my way. (laughs) Seventy minutes later, I got to the morgue. I wasn't dressed very professionally. Just a white t-shirt and a pair of grey jogging pants. But at least I was there. I walked into the morgue office and saw the head of the department with his hands on his face. I saw a man who couldn't explain what happened. Lieutenant, we even have footage of the room, I can't explain what happened. Let me see the footage, I asked. He gave me the chair. I saw the corpse being cut into for the autopsy. The coroner looked at the time on his watch and locked the corpse in its locker. An hour passes where no one comes in or out of the room, except the coroner, and he doesn't touch the locker. After the hour passes, the coroner comes back in to open the locker and he realizes that there's no body in it. I saw from my own eyes. No one disturbed the footage. No one came in to open the locker. The body just vanished without a trace. I immediately sought answers. I couldn't let myself believe that this body vanished without a trace. I ran into the locker area and opened up the storage that the body was stored in. The metal shelf inside was bare. The back had no breaches or cuts to indicate being removed from elsewhere. This was the scariest thing I had ever seen. The satanic worshippers. The carvings on the body. What if... Then, I saw it. I must have been going crazy, but I saw it nonetheless. It was the body. It was standing there watching me in all of its gore. Its eyes were rolled into the back of its head, its guts were splayed open, and its sternum was ripped from the front. Inside of the chest cavity was a dark void. No organs, no blood, nothing. I pointed at it in horror. The head coroner looked at where I was pointing. What? What's wrong? You... you don't see that? The coroner walked over to the area I was pointing at and squinted. He turned back to me. No, what is it? Then he walked through the corpse to see if it was further back from where I was pointing. Then he walked back. I don't see it, what is it? I lowered my hand as the body walked to a mirror and extended its finger. He began to write something to me and it showed up in blood. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was hyperventilating. <laughs> Enough so that head coroner got a leftover paper bag. A nearby Chinese restaurant for me to put over my nose and mouth. This didn't distract me from what I was seeing, as I was the only one who did. The poor boy, if he was a boy any longer, wrote on the mirror only one word. Follow! I noted that when he walked, bloody footprint remained. This was what he was using to let me follow him. I pulled the bag away from my face. "'Josh, calm down!' I stumbled to my feet and ran to follow the footsteps of the corpse as it walked clear out of the morgue. I followed the poor boy, asking it questions, trying to find out where it was leading me. He could only look me in the face. It was then I realized as much as he wanted to tell me he couldn't, he had to show me. I had walked almost three miles as the sun rose up at the horizon. I was tired from walking, but determined to see this through. He stopped in an abandoned townhouse on Winchester Street, nearby the liquor store. He didn't walk any further, but pointed at the house. I couldn't blame him. From the outside, the house had seen better days. The roof had caved in, and a giant tarp was on top of it. The windows were boarded up, and there was an orange sign on the door stating that the building was condemned by the city of Baltimore. The basement window was busted out. Sealing it off now didn't make any difference, and as I walked up the concrete steps and examined the door, even though it was nailed shut, there was evidence that it was opened by someone other than the state previously. I turned back toward the corpse of the poor boy. He was still there, but didn't move a muscle. This was his last testament as to what had happened to him. I just had to put the pieces together, and I knew he wasn't going to leave me until I found out. Before going into the house, I called Karen. I told her to meet me with a kit and some armed officers, just in case this was going to be dangerous. She asked what and how I was there. I didn't go into details about the boy. Karen showed up a half an hour later with two squad cars as a backup. She handed me the kit and spoke intimately.
1: I got a call from the morgue, Joshua. They said you had a panic attack and ran off after seeing something after the body had disappeared?
0: I pointed to the basement. This place is going to have our answers.
1: How do you know? There wasn't even a complete autopsy or any information left.
0: We have what we reported. At least that'll be something to go on.
1: But how did the body
0: disappear? I don't even know. There's no way it was possible considering the footage.
1: What do you expect to find in there?
0: I paused because I didn't have an answer. And I just shrugged. I opened my kit and pulled out my neoprene gloves. Lastly, I made sure my pistol was on me, and ready to use just in case. Uh, Do we need a warrant? pointed to the condemned sign. Uh, No one owns this place. This becomes a matter of probable cause in our investigation. I slowly opened the door of the townhouse. The house smelled like rats, roaches, and all kinds of vermin had been having a vacation down there for a long time. There was another smell, however, that definitely showed up as well. It was the smell of dried blood we made sure it was safe to walk into the living room area. The floorboards creaked beneath my feet, but it was still sturdy enough. There were several dirty blankets, food scraps, cookie boxes, crack pipes, malt liquor bottles, and syringes around enough to know that homeless people were using this place to get high and sleep. The dining room, which had almost the same setup, except for a hole in the floor near the corner of the wall that led to the basement downstairs. The darkness greeted me like an old friend as I had the notion to peer down inside of it. Before I did, though, I thought about the upstairs and needing to cover ground more quickly. Detective Long, take an officer with you and check the upstairs. If it is a stable, see what you can find. Yes, Lieutenant. She started to slowly traverse the steps upward. The other officer, who didn't seem so confident in his job, stayed with me. What's down there? I shrugged. Let me borrow your flashlight real quick. He handed me a black mag light. I love these things. They were a source of light when you needed it and a weapon when you didn't have one. I turned it on and peered down into the void. I wasn't prepared for what I saw. I looked back at the officer. Do the stairs from the kitchen look any good? I might need a rope to drop down. The officer quickly looked at the basement steps from the mangled kitchen. He yelled from there to me. No! The steps are broken! Seven or eight of them shattered alone! I heard footsteps behind me as Karen came up to me.
1: There's nothing up there in regards to the investigation. Did you find anything?
0: I need to get down there. The officer came back. The stairs are bad, too.
1: Uh, you could use the outside window. It's completely busted open, so there should be no glass fragments in the frame.
0: I knew I was going to like her as a partner. I stood up and said, Yeah, I also think that this is the route the people took just to get down there in the first place. I walked quietly outside and down the steps. I peeked inside with the flashlight and saw a smaller room. There was a door that was shut that kept me from seeing into the large basement proper, but it was safe for me to go in. I think I can get down there, I muttered to Karen. We were there for so long already that some of the neighbors had come out of their homes to see what we, what we were doing. They never approached us, and that was okay, too. Out of the corner of my eye, I could still see the corpse of the boy. Waiting. I slipped my feet down into the window and pushed off inside. The smell of the house was just as bad upstairs, but this time the smell got worse. I knew I was getting close to finding out what was going on. I pulled my 9mm Beretta from my waistband and slowly opened the door. I shined my light inside. Several used mattresses covered the floor of the basement. The lingering smells of semen, blood, and sheer filth filled my nostrils. I thought at some point I should go back and ask Karen for my Noxo, but I didn't care anymore. I needed to do this for him. The further I walked in, I noticed strange stuff. There were ropes, like the kind you used to go boating. There was a pair of jumper cables, a soldering iron, and lastly a bloody axe leaning up against the wall. The soldering iron was probably used to carve those incantations on the boy's chest. The well, I knew now that I'd found my murder weapon. I bent over to inspect the soldering iron, and there was blood residue on it. But I also found a wallet. I opened up and saw something I needed. It was the ID of the boy. His name was Tyrone Childress. He was 25 years old. The picture on the ID was that of a cheerful young black man in the prime of his youth. I looked through the other pictures in the wallet. There was a picture of him with another man and they were kissing. Underneath there was a caption of Ben and Ty forever. I walked out of the basement and looked outside to find Tyrone. I must have found what he was looking for because it was gone. In the days that followed we were able to do miraculous things that at the beginning of the case we didn't think were possible. Fingerprints identified a man named Frederick Gaines as the wielder of the axe. He was brought in for questioning. He confessed to torturing him with the jumper cables, carving into him with the soldering iron, raping him repeatedly, and murdering Tyrone. He said he did it along with three other highly intoxicated men. Figures they would blame the drugs. The Satan worship was a red herring just like I said it was. They wanted to make it look like some crazy ritual had happened to kill poor Tyrone. It was a ritual alright, but not to an infernal entity in the broader sense. We were finally able to contact Ben Langley, a contractor from Towson who was Tyrone's lover, and from what he had told us, soon to be husband. That didn't go over too well. Ben became a bawling mess after we revealed what happened to Tyrone. He was glad justice was found for his love, but heartbroken nonetheless. Now, that was the part that could be explained. There are more that can't. I got a phone call from the coroner's office stating that they found Tyrone's body back in the morgue, right where it was supposed to be two days later. It disappeared and reappeared within a span of a week. Same situation also, and that there was no camera footage and no one came in or out of that room. The next morning, I woke up and went into my bathroom to get ready for work, and I was gifted with the sight of a message smeared with blood on my bathroom mirror. I give credit where credit is due. At first, I thought this had come from Tyrone, and felt glad that he valued my work. But I got a different vibe from this. It was then that I realized who exactly sent this message. The devil himself had to clear his own name and helped bring Gaines and his asshole friends to justice. This was his way of telling me that even the Prince of Darkness, the cause of all evil in the world, didn't do this particular
1: sin.